0: All right, everybody. Let's come in and get resituated back in our seats, and uh, we'll open our Bibles to Philemon, Book of Philemon in the New Testament, just before Hebrews. So, if you have a Bible, please open to Philemon this morning. This will be our third and final study from this little letter of Paul to his friend Philemon. Uh, Yeah, so Book of Philemon, if anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have extras, looks like a couple extra back there, and we can get one in your hands. Uh, Okay, we're all good? Really good. So New Testament, Book of Philemon, and uh, I'm very thankful that we spent a few weeks in this little letter, this charming letter from Paul to his friend Philemon because it has brought to the surface the subject of reconciliation. And we've considered reconciliation now from a couple of different aspects. Um, And that is first being reconciled to God and then secondly reconciled to each other. And uh, it's good if it goes in that order. If you as a sinner are reconciled to God by the grace of Jesus through faith, then that changes a lot of things. It has the potential of changing a lot of relationships. Obviously, it changes you first, transformation inside starts to flow over to others. Uh, Definition of reconciliation, uh, just to remind ourselves, it's to restore harmony. I'll give you a few words here. Uh, To resolve differences. You'll notice the R words, intentionally, (laughs) right? To restore harmony. To resolve differences. To reestablish a broken relationship. Uh, I like this one particularly. It's to exchange hostility for a friendly relationship. So there's a removal of one situation and then a putting of another into its place. There's an exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. And we learn that from certain Bible texts such as Romans 5 verse 10. It says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So there was an animosity that was generated between us and Holy God just by the moral choices that we make. That makes us unholy, ungodly. Uh, God is not. He is light and perfect and holy. And therefore, the two cannot be in the same place at the same time. Light and darkness cannot coexist. So to mend that divide, that relationship, God sent his son. God became a man, Jesus Christ and he be mediated for us, and he brought reconciliation when we were enemies, which is really good news, because he doesn't require anything from us. It's not a work-based or a merit-based improvement of the relationship. It's simply what he has done for us. He's handed us forgiveness and eternal life. So we've approached this, uh, lessons on reconciliation, from the three different personalities that are represented in this letter. We have Philemon who Paul wrote to and we have Onesimus. So uh, bear with me here. Uh, I hope you're not terribly offended but uh, the harsh reality is that Philemon was a slave owner and the name of his slave was Onesimus. And we gather from the text that a point in time came where Onesimus Onesimus uh, took something of value from his master. Let's just call him his boss. A little bit more relatable. He he stole something. And then with that, he ran. And he ran far, far away and went into a far country where he could enjoy the pleasures of sin. And there are many pleasures in sin. It's a reality. Uh, But he had a conscience... And he had had a witness from his boss, Philemon, who was uh, a man who lived in this city called Colossae. And for whatever reason, Colossae, uh, rather Philemon, left Colossae. And we think that he went to a nearby city called Ephesus. For what reason, we don't know, but we suspect that he went there. And in the course of his visit in Ephesus, he met the apostle Paul. And in meeting Paul, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and came under the conviction of his own need for a right relationship with God. And so he confessed his sin and bowed his knees to Jesus and the Lord transformed this man Philemon. So what we've learned from this study is that Philemon left Colossae, a pagan. He returned a Christian. And when he got back home, this man's life and his wife and his son Archippus were all saved. They were born again Christians and it changed the whole atmosphere of their home and the business that he ran. And so I'm reminding ourselves of that because Onesimus no doubt had had that strong witness of this genuine change and transformation in his boss. And in fact, his boss used the... Uh, resources that he had to establish a church in his own home. And so people from the surrounding area would come and meet on a weekly basis in Philemon's home. And Onesimus maybe even took part in the serving of the guests that they were there in the home, perhaps sat under the teaching of Archippus, who we think was the pastor. So there was seeds that were sown in Onesimus's life that bore fruit later As he ran for the hills, he ends up in Rome, and through God's providence, guess what? He meets the Apostle Paul. (laughs) And now he also comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He confesses his sin, repents, and gives his life to the Lord. And the Lord saves this man, Onesimus. And he hung out with Paul for a period of time and assisted him in the work of the ministry that Paul had there, in Rome from his prison cell, but the reality is Onesimus needed to make reconciliation with his boss, and Paul really shouldn't be holding on to somebody else's property, if you will. And so he writes this letter, puts it in Onesimus's hand, and sends him back. So that's the backstory. We've had teaching on being reconciled to God through the example of Onesimus, And then, last week, we talked about being reconciled to each other as Onesimus has come back to Philemon and the restoration and the restoring of harmony between them. Now, I have one more message that uh, is just absolutely beautiful. (laughs) And it is the Ministry of Reconciliation. So, I want to build this off of the third party in this interesting true story by Leeman Onesimus and the third party is Paul. So Paul what he is doing here is he is mediating, right? He's mediating reconciliation between these two. Onesimus and Philemon, and he wrote words. So let me pick it up with you at verse 8, and let's read together. I'll, I'll read, and you just follow through with me, with me, please. Paul says, therefore, verse 8, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I want to highlight this, brothers and sisters, Paul said, for love's sake, okay? He is saying, he's encouraging, he's appealing to Philemon on the motive of love, the example of love that was given to Philemon and Paul and Onesimus, all the parties here, the example of love of Jesus. Love by its nature is sacrificial. It is interested in what can I do for your love? Life to make your life better, to help you and to improve you. It's by nature giving. And so, Paul, I just want to emphasize that, because we're going to see this later on, and we'll end up uh, at a different part of the Bible at the end of this message. And you'll see that again, that the motive for reconciliation is the love of God. And Paul's appealing to Philemon, Not necessarily to Philemon's natural instincts of care and concern for another, but the love of Jesus, of Jesus Christ that was given to Philemon, poured into his life by the Spirit of God. So he says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. In other words, Onesimus has come to faith, bro. (laughs) whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back to you in person, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but but voluntary." For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention you owe that, uh, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self, besides, yes, brother, let me have joy in you, from you in the Lord, and refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a place for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. and then he has some closing farewell from different people. Our emphasis this morning is on Paul and the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm so thankful for this little letter because it tells a big, beautiful, true story of Jesus and what he's done for ungodly people. And I'm going to zero in our attention on verses 17 and 18 where Paul says, and really what he's doing here, is he's actively now participating in the mediatorial role. He's a peacemaker. Paul is a peacemaking mediator, and he's doing it through imputation. I've just dropped a word on you that's not in the text, but it comes out in the text, and I'll do my best to make that clear. But let me say this to you. The process of reconciliation is accomplished through imputation. And I'm talking about truths that are essential to the gospel. Therefore, it's very important that we understand these, the meaning of these words. Reconciliation, I think we have a fairly good grasp on that. It's to restore harmony, to exchange hostility for a friendly relationship. And Paul's going to do that through this thing called imputation. So look at it with me. Verse 17. If then you count me or consider me a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. (laughs) You see, Onesimus had stolen something, there was a debt that was owed, and Paul is saying, I will take his debt into my own self. That's imputation, it, that's what that word account, put that on my account, that's what's being applied here, implied in verse 18. So let me work with you a little bit on this, imputation, because we've got to get this down, okay? Imputate, to imputate. Uh, impute. I'm not even sure imputates a word. To impute. (laughs) Uh, It means to reckon, uh, to count, to compute, to calculate, to pass into one's account. Okay? Example. Um, When my dad passed about a year ago, uh, he had an investment at Franklin Templeton. And my oldest brother, being the executor, uh, notified all of my siblings, uh, there's six of us, that according to Dad's will, uh, this investment would be liquidated and, and sent out equal shares to each of the siblings. And so I obviously provided my personal banking information to Franklin Templeton and got response back, and they notified me that, you know, several thousand dollars would be imputed into my account, okay? It would be reckoned into my account. And I wanted to give you that illustration because, you see, I didn't earn it. It wasn't a paycheck. It was just a gift from my father into my account. And uh, I'm just gonna quickly go to Blue Letter Bible because in their definition of imputation, they have this little footnote that says, this word deals with reality. If I reckon that my bank book has 25 bucks in it, it has 25 bucks in it. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself. This word refers more to fact than supposition or opinion. And so, you know, me being the greedy guy that I am, when I get this letter from my brother, it's like, ah, I got some money coming, right? And we bought some furniture and we did some stuff that we normally wouldn't do because there was this extra money. But sure enough, when we went to our bank account in CFCU, there was the cash. It was really literally there. Imputation, that's what this means. Paul wrote a whole chapter in Romans chapter 4 about this very fact of imputation, and it's vitally important because, you see, when a person believes what God has said, then God puts into your moral account his righteousness. He imputes righteousness into your life. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. Righteousness is not a thing. It's literally God's nature, his character. He's right We're wrong. He's light. We're dark by choice through our rebellion and our selfishness. And when a person repents of their sin, turns away from all the idolatry, and comes solely and looks at Jesus and what he accomplished at the cross, and that he mediated for me, that my debt went upon him, and that in response he gives me his righteousness. He makes me right with God. It's transformative, mind-blowing, life-changing. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Let me just highlight a couple of verses with you. Since Paul spends this whole chapter talking about this issue of imputation. <laughs> okay? Just a couple of verses. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Speaking of Abraham. Abraham. He says, what does the scripture say? Romans 4 3. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him or reckoned to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? He believed that God's words were true. First of all, he believed God existed. And he believed that God's words were true. You see, God had told Abraham that he was going to have a son. Now, that came at a time when he and his wife were beyond the age of child-rearing. But he believed God. You see, he not only believed God existed, he believed God's words. And he believed God's power and his nature, that God is right. He's righteous, which means he can't lie. And if God has told me, take a look up into the stars, Abe. Can you count them? Nope so will it be for your descendants. Dude, long after your passing, there's going to be so many that have come from your family line, we won't be able to count them. And Abraham believed that. He believed the unlimited power and the nature of God, and God said, when I saw your righteousness or your faith, I gave you righteousness. Genesis 15:6. One of the great verses in the Bible, and that's what Paul is quoting. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Why is that important? While we're in Romans chapter 4, look at verse 20. Romans 4, 20. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, was raised again for our justification. What an amazing promise. You believe the truth of the gospel and he will transform your life. He will put his righteousness in you. It's not a thing, righteousness. It's God's character. So praise the Lord, imputation through mediation making reconciliation, it's the heart of the gospel, it's actually essential doctrine and we'll see at the end of my sermon this morning that it actually is our mission, church and it's the message that we share. It is our mission and it's the message that we share. That Jesus is a mediator and that this act of imputation went both ways. My sin on him, his righteousness into me. And that brings reconciliation with God. It's so important that we know this. This is good doctrine. This is sound doctrine, brothers and sisters. And it's good for us to be established in good teaching. So back to my story. Let's go back to Philemon and look again at what Paul was doing in his ministry of reconciliation. And let's learn from our brother Paul about his mediation, this peacemaking, excuse me, peacemaking Mediator, that's what I like to think of them as. Paul made peace between Philemon and Onesimus. But Jesus said, Matthew 5.9, whoops, just lost some, here we go, Matthew 5.9, Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. So here we are, Paul's a mediator. Now what's that mean? <laughs> I've got some lawyer types in here this morning. They could probably tell us exactly what that means, so be patient with me. <laughs> all right? Uh, first of all, it means that he has understanding of both sides of the table. Okay? In this situation, Paul, uh, he understands that Philemon was deeply offended and hurt by Onesimus' unkindness, his theft He's abandoning the job and, 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 and leaving Onesimus or Philemon trying to, to run his operation with less help. <laughs> he also understands the other side. He understands Onesimus, that he has offended and that he's hurt by his selfish acts, his boss. So Paul has an understanding of both sides as a mediator. He also has an interest in both sides, you see, because Paul's a close friend of Philemon. He's also a close personal friend of Onesimus. So his unique position reminds me of those famous words of Job, chapter 9. God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. I think in another place, Job says, if he could put his hand one on me and one on the other and mediate between us. That is the role that Paul is playing. He understands both sides. He has an interest in both sides. He loves them both. And Paul, in this, in, in Paul, in this situation, now hear me please, in this little disharmony that had occurred through the sinful actions, Paul is an innocent mediator. You guys got that, right? He wasn't involved in this crime. Therefore, he stands apart from it, and he is an innocent, we'll call him a righteous mediator. So how is he going to make reconciliation possible? Through the process of imputation. And we see it first in verse 17. Paul says to Philemon, if then you count me as a partner, if you regard me, Philemon, my friend, my dear one who came to faith and we shared fellowship together, if you count me as an equal partner, right, we're companions, we share. We share the same faith. We share the same destiny. If you count me as that, then receive him as you would me. So in other words, when Philemon, when Onesimus walks through the door, I want you not so much to see the thief, slave, I want you to see my righteousness in him. Because I've put that on him. That's what Paul essentially is saying. Receive him as you would me. I've given him my innocence. My righteousness is put into him. Now, I'm maybe making a little bit more out of the story than I should, because Paul can't obviously do that. In reality, only Jesus can do that. But Paul's telling us a story to teach us about imputation, resulting in reconciliation. And so right now, you lawyer types, you're going, wait, (laughs) objection, Your Honor. (laughs) We have a problem here. You can't do that, Paul. The dude stole, that is, that's against the law and legally the law needs to be satisfied. He needs to experience the justice justice that he has wrongfully incurred upon himself. You can't just do that. Enter verse 18. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Do you see the beauty and the love of that, my brothers and sisters? Paul's like, I will take full responsibility for the stuff that he did. And that will justify and satisfy the demands of the law. We're not just sweeping this under the rug. We're dealing with it full on, straight up. I'll take responsibility for something I didn't do. He gets my righteousness, I get his sin. Imputation. It's reckoned into Paul's account. And furthermore, Paul would say in verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Which I really interesting, right, because we know that Paul had uh, suffered a much at the hands of evil men, physically suffered, and uh, his ability to see, literally see, and therefore to write was greatly uh, impeded. So for Paul to take the pen out of the hand of his secretary and then to basically he goes, I'm guaranteeing this. This is my signature. Probably signed like a doctor. Feet. Right? So the great exchange has made possible reconciliation. Well, that leads me to 2 Corinthians. So let's take this beautiful little story that reveals to us uh, this reconciliation through imputation. And let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll close there this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll pick it up at verse 14. Actually, let me just jump right to the last verse, verse 21. Because 2 Corinthians 5:21 is a verse that probably is the best and clearest verse in all of the New Testament that describes what I've just took, whatever, 20 minutes to just describe to you. <laughs> Imputation and reconciliation, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So hopefully, from Paul's beautiful true story, Of his work as a peacemaking mediator, we now can appreciate this verse, because Paul is the author here, and he's telling us what was true over here with me and my buddies, it's true over here on a global scale between Almighty God and all of mankind. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. Don't misunderstand. Jesus did not become a sinner. He was never a sinner. The act of imputation was the fact that he took full responsibility. He lived a life that was without sin all 33 years of his life. And he was put on public trial. It's so good to read John 18 and to see how he was tried by a religious trial and a civic trial by the Jewish leadership and by the Roman government. And nobody could find anything wrong with him. And he appealed. He just boldly appeals, like, dude, bring in the witnesses. What have I said? We're, I haven't done this in a corner. I've lived my life openly. I've taught openly here in the temple. Many have followed me. What are you accusing me of? You know what they said to him? They said nothing, they punched him in the face. They just couldn't contain the hatred and the rebellion that they had because his light became a mirror to their life. And all these Jewish leadership were like, dude, this guy is just otherworldly and he makes me feel like I'm wrong and I don't like that. Now praise the Lord, there were some who responded to the light, like Nicodemus, famously came and said, you must be God. And he said, I am, and you must be born again. How can I do that? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. God took all of the debt, the moral debt that we have accrued in our life, and he put it on Jesus. And he assumed all the guilt and the responsibility and the condemnation that we deserve for that. And therefore, in that place, that's that's why I love the worship this morning, right? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Because we look up and we see he's getting the just requirement of the law. The wages of sin is death. The verdict is guilty. (laughs) All the world's guilty before God. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Romans 3.21 I encourage you to read Romans chapter 118 until you get to 320, right? Paul is working the courtroom and he brings all of mankind before the throne of God and he makes his final conclusions, his final arguments against mankind. There's none righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way. Every single human has failed. We're all guilty before God. And then in verse 21 the sun comes up, and hope appears on the horizon. And Paul doesn't say, repent. He doesn't say, the devil did it. He says, but righteousness is now available. Do you remember the great uh, advertising slogan? Got milk? <laughs> I read it, uh, was reading a book once about... Uh, the effectiveness of good advertising. I don't know why I was reading that, but uh, that ranks up really high because two words said so much, right? Got milk, right? And then they the, the milk mustache and the whole thing. So I say to you, got righteousness? Because without it, no man will see the kingdom of heaven. It's, off, it's made possible to you to receive the righteousness, his character... If you will repent and believe the gospel. God will in real reality put that into your heart and your soul and he will transform your life. Remember the little footnote from Blue Letter Bible. We're not dealing with something that is suppositional. This is reality. It really happens. People go from darkness to light, from hatred to love. There's an exchange. There's no longer enemies We're now friendly. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him is a favorite little way that Paul has. He repeats that many times throughout the New Testament. It simply means that I have joined myself by faith into his death, which was for me, And in his resurrection, which was a forgiveness and eternal life. That's our message. Let me show you two things, two other things from this little portion. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. And I'm referring now back to what I had said when we were in Philemon. Before I go any further, I'm feeling like really warm. (laughs) So maybe just... Bump that down a little, lives and get some air moving, please. Um, but notice the, the motive of our message is love. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for all. Verse 15. Can I just encourage you? Would you just read that for yourself and take out the word all and put your name in there? I really encourage, just do that right now. He died for Scott. And you can say that. He died for me. He died for all. God made him who knew no sin to become your sin. The motive, the love of Christ. Paul says it's the love of Christ that compels me. It literally is a propeller (laughs) inside of me, and it's moving me constantly toward other people, right? Paul's a peacemaking, mediating fisherman (laughs) because he sees the global scale that what Jesus has done He's made possible for all human beings. What he's made possible is reconciliation with God and eternal life through this act of imputation. Do you see how important that is? The motive of Jesus was always love that I'm going to sacrificially give so that you can benefit from my sacrifice. That's love. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Parents, love your kids. Kids, love your parents. Church, love each other. Sacrificially give for the benefit of another. What do I get back, fellowship? Joy? That I get to do the stuff that Jesus did? When Paul says the love of Christ compels us, I'm not so sure that he's talking necessarily about the love that was put into him by the Spirit, as much as that he just keeps his eye on the message of Jesus and what he accomplished in verse 21. And he's like, that is amazing. Paul would walk into a room. He's like, I got to work the room. Dude, do you know Jesus? (laughs) He's like, do you know he died for you? Do you realize how massive the scope of this truth is? So Paul's a peacemaking, mediating fisherman. And he's he's telling everybody, what compels us? The love of Jesus. What we observe in him and what he's given to me. It's both ways. (laughs) Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's my fisherman idea there. It's like Paul works the room, man. He works the world wherever he went. Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, educated, uneducated does not matter. Everybody qualifies for the grace of God because we've all sinned. That makes you a qualifier. Dude, can I get some of that forgiveness? Yeah, repent. Believe the gospel. God made him all the bad about you. Judged him. He got what you deserved so that we can get what we didn't deserve, forgiveness. Therefore, from now on, we've guarded no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation, yes. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new creation, Uh, Yes, God did create you, (laughs) by the way, just so there's no confusion, and he will recreate you, right? Only God creates. God creates, man invents, okay? Just remember that. God creates. Technically, we never create. We invent, which means we have to start with something, and then from that, we make stuff. He created from nothing. Let there be. And then there was. And I think embedded in that verse 17 is the fact that you can't make yourself a Christian. You must be recreated. And it's by faith, apart from works. That's what Paul taught us in Romans 4. It wasn't written for Abraham's sake alone, it was written for our sake. That if we will believe the gospel, he died for my uh, offenses, he was raised for my justification then I will receive the righteousness, exchange, reconciliation. The joy and the beauty of that, friends, is a relationship, a living relationship with the living God. Oh, if I could just encourage you, please spend much time with him. Make time to be with Jesus. I have been enjoying that more and more and more. Yeah, there's coffee. (laughs) Yeah, there's less sleep. It's all good. It's all worth it. Just to stand out there and to pour out my heart before him. All my, you know what it always ends up being, though? Praise. Once I get done with all my stuff and the junk has been, then it's just like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you. And and we're there. I'm telling you, I'm not feeling stuff 99.9% of the time but I know the inner witness. And then I come here and there's the outer witness of all of you who have done the same thing, who've experienced the love of Christ. It's so encouraging. Verse 18, now notice this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Our message, or how we, I think what Paul is saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It could be that he's just saying, this is our message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And you will have peace and joy in your life. The peacemaking mediator, Jesus Christ. So he says two things. The ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, diakonos, is the word. You know it. It's the word for servant. This is what we do. (laughs) <laughs> okay? So I could just harken back a little bit to last week, touching on the reconciling with each other. This is what we do. Paul's saying, I want you to do reconciliation with one another. Do it. Here is the joy. And can I just say, you know, post-sermon and in fellowship and talking, I, something came to mind where Paul would write to the Corinthians in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. And, you know, they weren't reconciling. Differences had occurred, and they started going to court. Brother was suing brother. And it was a terrible witness in Corinth. Like, you got this this unsaved judge sitting there going, and here come a couple of Christians from the church with a steeple and a cross on it, and they're like, he's like, what are you doing here? I hate him, and he hates me. And I want to sue him, and I want reparations and all this junk. Paul's like, it's embarrassing. You know what he said? Why don't you allow yourself to be cheated? Oh, I love that. You know what? Absorb it. Just absorb it. Dude, you did wrong. So what? So do I. And I hope you'll absorb my wrong when it comes your way. But I'm going to play the role of a reconciling savior very imperfectly. And I'm just going to absorb that. I'm not gonna hold it against you either. And we're gonna stay in fellowship. That's the work of reconciliation. Let go, brothers and sisters. Let go of the stuff that you're holding on to against that other. Yeah, well they. Yeah, well, won't that enable them? Maybe. Sure is a witness though too. When your countenance and your life is changed to one of a peacemaker and it's not coming back up in the conversation and there's just grace abounding. Oh. <laughs> it starts to soften. It starts to break down that rough edges. Something's different. Yeah. It's the Lord's taking more and more of my life. That's the work of reconciliation. And then he said in verse 19, the word of reconciliation. So when people say, where do you get this hope? You tell them where it came from. Our message, this is our mission. Do you see it all wrapped up together, brothers and sisters, the motive is love. The message is reconciliation through Christ. And our ministry, is to do the work of reconciliation. So I don't know where that finds you this morning. In closing, I will say that uh, life's hard. And uh, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. That's how he's described. And if he's gotten his way into your head, and told you that you've made shipwreck of your faith through the choices that you've made. I'll tell you what. You go back to your first love. You go back to ground zero, where you repented, and the righteousness of Christ was imputed to you, and you knew it, because the Holy Spirit brought life and light and glory and joy. There was an exchange. The old was done away. The new man now, created in Christ Jesus, has come alive inside of me. You go back to that indisputable fact and just silence the the arrows that have been bombarding your head. Maybe that's the shield of faith that Paul's talking about. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, And in my feeble attempt to try to build a sermon out of two verses in Philemon, I think there is some benefit in it, though, right? To really study it, and to see imputation is a real thing. God gives you his character. That means when I go to heaven, he's going to see Jesus in me. Receive him as you would me, Father. This is our son, born by my love and my grace in him. Receive him. You know what it means? Literally, it means to take into your own heart. You pull him in close. You welcome them. There's hospitality. Come, sit down. Boldly, I approach your throne because the veil has been torn. God the Father, the greatest hospitality of all. Welcome to my kingdom. And So I don't know where this finds you this morning, but I hope that just the, the truth of these dynamic spiritual truths of Christianity, the essence and the heart of Christianity will encourage you to live boldly, to live courageously, to get back up tomorrow and to go back to that job that's so frustrating or to that classroom or that relationship that's really frustrating and hard and know that God is with you. He's imparted his very life into you. And as you go, Look for a way to serve. That's what love does. And it will change your perspective. I can look at an enemy and I can go, hmm, how can I serve that brother? Rather than, you just sort of stop the merry-go-round of thoughts that go around and around and around, endlessly developing all kinds of deep-seated ill will. And it reverses it. <laughs> now. How can I help you? I probably have told you this story, but I'll tell it again because I love it. But it was me and my salesman back years ago. I've got this management role, and this guy is one of my salesmen, and he was really, really good. I also was a pretty good salesman, but he was better than me in a lot of ways. And he understood a lot of things about the building industry that I did not understand. And he knew it. And he started holding that against me. <laughs> and I felt threatened. And I'm young and insecure in my role as a manager. And and here's this guy, Daryl, and he's just like, I felt like, man, this guy could run the place easily. Why? Well, I, I think we should switch roles. And it was sort of an unstated thing that existed between us and it started to grow and people knew it. And, and I was a lot of sleepless nights and the Lord brought me back to that very place and he said to me in one of those moments of prayer he says, Scott, why don't you think about how to serve Daryl instead of how to beat him, instead of how to show yourself as being of more value than him. And then it became really fun a creative sort of thing started happening. Nothing was ever said until the day the Lord called me to Ithaca. And then there was this slow process of detachment from the company and years had gone by and the history and Daryl and our relationship became very personal now. But the reward in all that was the day he took me to lunch. And we had a nice lunch And we got to our cars and very, very uncharacteristically he reached out and he hugged me really hard for a long time. Daryl's not a believer. At least he wasn't then. I don't know where he's at now. But to me that was the reward. That was the evidence of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Changing me and thereby changing our relationship. It was the ministry of reconciliation. Because God had done it in me, and therefore it was possible, and it's possible in you. This is our mission, and this is our motive, and He is our message. Let's stand. kind of a holy moment, Lord. <laughs> you have been lifted up. And I hope, Lord, that we have seen you with the eyes of our heart. That there's been insight into your character, into your desire to have a friendly ongoing relationship with all men. Lord, I pray that at this moment your power would bring new creation, that you might bring restoration. Maybe there's a need for just being honest and getting some of the clutter out of our hearts that we've allowed to accumulate attitudes and carnality and just outright compromise. So, Lord, as you are here, would you just move among your flock and let us see afresh. Put your hand on each person and just reveal to them, speak to them and bless them. Let them know that you have died for them and you've risen for their justification. Lord, I pray there would be a restoring to harmony. Infuse us with your love, Lord. How much we need you. We thank you for this moment in time. (laughs) And I pray it would reproduce in time outside of this place and through this week. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.